HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Forever Cheese, a passion for great taste. Learn more at forevercheese.com. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection between food and grief, with your hosts, Sara Tangora and Bobby Conforto. On this show, we're going to really explore where grief and food intersect, how they go hand in hand, different people's experiences with their specific traumas and how food played a part from the beginning to the end of that experience. And how as individuals, we uniquely process life's traumas and losses through either the longing for, the creating of, the avoiding of, the obsessing over, and the eating of food. I remember right after Michael died, I still miss him, but I missed him so badly that night that I stopped at the convenience store on the corner and I bought a container of Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia. It's too sweet, you know, it's too everything. And I went home with it and I took it to bed and I thought to myself, gee, so this is my first menage a trois after Michael's death. <laughs> Me, Ben, and Jerry. And I ate the entire thing. What do you think your relationship to food was during times of crisis? I think that um, my sister and I use food to reward ourselves. I wish I had something more no, interesting think... to say, but definitely like spaghetti and meatballs and chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> my mom still can't eat rugula. It makes her too sad. I've also experienced a lot of loss, as has Bobby. And I think we really wanted to find a way where we could like work together. There's something that feels very compelling about doing a project with you, Mom, um, as just kind of a missing piece in life and just something we've always wanted to do but not known quite how. can't think of anything better myself. I think that, I mean, any conversation about grief, I think, prepares everyone for grief because there are so few conversations about grief. It's why I think that what you guys are doing is so important. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's show, we're joined by Oliver and Sasha Zabar, the third-generation brothers of the legendary grocery name. They join us to talk about continuing and evolving their family legacy through different projects such as their own and operated cocktail bar Devon in the Lower East Side. The cocktail bar maintains its legacy by sourcing ingredients from the family-run rooftop greenhouse on the Upper East Side. Later in the show, studio engineer G sits down with feminist punk duo True Dreams for their second Snacky Tunes debut. They've recently dropped their debut album. Jeet sits with them to talk about what they've been up to, the new record, and hear a few songs live in the studio. So sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacky Tunes. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. I'm joined today by Oliver and Sasha Zabar. Welcome to the show. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Wonderful. Um, so we can identify who's whom. Oliver, you want to say hello, and then Sasha want to say hello, and we can catch the timber of your voices. Definitely. This is Oliver. And uh, th- this, is Sa- this is Sasha. Amazing. So for the people who listen to the show and are not in New York, can you give them a quick rundown of the Zabar family name and the incredible significance it has within this city? Sure. Uh, our, you know, our, our grandfather uh, started Zabar's um, at, at kind of right after the turn of the century, uh, early 1900s. And uh, unfortunately, he, he passed away when uh, our uncles and my father was, were, were very young. And basically, at a certain point, our dad, Eli, uh, kind of broke off and started his own uh, food store, EAT, in, in 1973, uh, on the Upper East Side. And from that store then came the Vinegar Factory and then uh, Eli's Market and Eli's Bread, which is kind of our wholesale bread, bread division, um, and so on and so forth. And, and we have na- now have kind of 10 to 11 locations, depending on how you count them. Uh, and then, uh, you know, that's kind of uh, the, the, Z- the Zabar, the quick Zabar story. And, and for the association with quality um, and the association of attention to detail with ingredients, uh, what is it that you would say define as our family operation? What are some of the traits, uh, regardless of where you go, that you will find? Uh, yeah, I'll take this one. But um, you know, everything in our stores are made fresh daily. Um, we're lucky to have in a few of our stores, we actually have our own bakeries. So those are producing fresh pastries, breads, uh, to order usually daily. Um, you kind of, there's a couple of cycles throughout the day. So you can, if you walk in at the right time, you can usually get something hot right out of the oven. Um, and we try and just, we work very closely with purveyors to get shipments in every single day. You know, if you come to our stores on any day of the week, there's usually a large truck outside unloading boxes and crates of produce and meat and vegetables. And usually our department heads are out there opening each box, inspecting everything, looking through it, giving back anything that may be bruised, anything that's damaged, anything rotten. Um, and then, you know, everything from the butcher department, from the produce from the cheese department, it all ends up going into the products that we sell in the store. So things like something comes in, it's broken up between everyone. They break it down, they send it to the kitchen, they send it to the shelves, they send it to the cases, and it's sold that day. Yeah, and, when and you're, to kind of add, add, sorry. Go on. To, to, to kind of add on to what, what Oliver said, um, you know, our, our butcher uh, makes our, our, his own charcuterie in-house, and we buy beef, uh, you know, full, full sides of beef, which we dry age, uh, and then kind of, you, you know, use a, uh, you know, a head, head to toe, uh, hook to snout kind of approach. Um, and kind of the main, uh, you know, it, what the main thing that makes the quality so great is that because we're buying uh, these, these ingredients for our retail store and then they kind of go through the, the use chain uh, and kind of get re- recreated into, into other items. You know, we start with exceptional, with exceptional quality ingredients, which typically, uh, you know, if you work with good ingredients, you get good tasting food in the end. Hmm. Your dad made the decision off. Um, what path did he want to carve and, and what, um, what vision did he bring to his first endeavor that he felt he needed to set out on his, on his own and, and to set his own way? I think, you know, he was the youngest of three brothers. The age gap between him and the next oldest is about 15 years. And he, I think, you know, grew up a lot of times, but he grew up kind of very much as an only child. And he, so his interest, he spent a lot of time in the kitchen and tasting things by himself and cooking for himself. And then as a, as a young man, he started going over to Europe. And when he was 18, he biked 
through Europe with his best friend. And I think he saw the quality that was being made overseas and the way people were eating and dining and thinking back to New York, uh, he realized it wasn't there. And, you know, everything at the original Zabar's was kind of a year typical Jewish delicatessen, but nobody was bringing in olive oils from Italy and cheeses from France. And to him, it was really important that the world see how Europe has been eating for decades. Centuries. So, Centuries. Millennium. <laughs> uh, so yeah. growing, growing up uh, must have given you both a unique perspective. I mean, you're surrounded by an incredible food, you know, world-class quality. What are some of the childhood memories you have of working in uh, your dad's shop, and what are some of the lessons that you learned there that you still carry through today with your current culinary endeavors? So, uh, you know, we, we always talk about this, but kind of when, when all of our friends were packing up and, and going on vacation around, you know, Christmas and, and New Year's, uh, that was really kind of our, our busy season. And so from a very young age, uh, we were, you know, put to work in the store and kind of with this understanding that, that this is business, you know, provides, you know, provides for the family and pro- provides our lifestyle. And, and if it doesn't do well, the whole family suffers. Uh, so everybody kind of needs to contribute to that success. And, you know, and, and our father is in- incredibly hardworking and, and, and uh, you know, does every job in the business uh, you know, even if he doesn't have to. And I think that kind of that motto and that kind of, uh, that, that idea of that, you know, if you can't take out the trash, you know, then you shouldn't, then you don't really belong there, uh, really kind of followed us through uh, from a very early age. Yeah, I can agree with what Tasha's saying. And I think, you know, a very valuable lesson that he taught us that it's hard, it's hard really to teach is, you know, after you work all day and you're working with your hands and you, you look at the final product and you're able to say, you know, I made that or I made 50 sandwiches today and I sold out of all of them, there's the gratification from seeing something that you've done by yourself is it's incredible. And growing up working in the stores and making baking bread or stocking the shelves or, you know, working the cheese department and cutting the cheeses, and seeing happy customers come in, shop, and say, wow, I loved what I got there last week, or that was, that was a delicious sandwich. It, to us, you know, grow up in food, it makes us feel really good. And, you know, most people would say that uh, for family businesses, sometimes kids get the, the inside edge, but it sounds like your father was pretty tough. What were the, some of the positions that you held, and how long did it take for you to become uh, less an employee and more of a partner? Um, well, you know, when, when we were very young, I'd say maybe six, seven, eight, uh, we were kind of put, put, put to work in each department. And like, I I remember very clearly, uh, selling, uh, cheese and caviar during the holidays and being kind of the caviar runner because, uh, you know, we didn't have an advanced security system. So someone would buy, you know, uh, four ounces of caviar and, and someone would have to kind of run that up to the register. So, so it didn't get stolen. And, you know, it, there was always this mentality that, that this is a family business, this is a partnership, but with that, you know, came the responsibility of, uh, you know, you need to be in there and you need, you need to be working. And, uh, and you know, I, I think when, when Oliver started uh, Night Shift with, with my dad, uh, that was kind of the, the first uh, kind of change in, in attitude and, and kind of uh, – you know, s- paradigm switch uh, between us kind of working for him to now working together. Yeah, I mean, there was always this idea, like Sasha, said, it's, we're family. We do this together. There's four of us, and everyone works for the business. And I remember, I remember the, the days that we were, you know, we were, we were very young. We were, you know, running caviar. We were going out with the drivers and kind of jumping out at all the stops and dropping gift baskets or groceries. And we, I, we, but we started at the very bottom. We started, you know, taking out the trash and cleaning things up and kind of running around doing whatever the managers needed. And then I, I stepped away and was working in hospitality for other people in New York. And I remember I got a call from him saying, hey, I'm taking a space on 79th and 3rd. 
And I think it'd be great if we did a really cool, interesting bar. And I would like you to come back and rejoin the business and kind of cr- create your vision of what the Upper East Side could use in sense of a fun, interesting bar. And I was kind of, you know, I was like, you know, I'm happy where I am. I like what I'm doing. But the sense of working with my dad, who I, like, I find to be incredibly smart and such a hard worker, it was, it was hard to say no. And the opportunity was great. So I, I came back to work for the family business. And I think that started this real idea of what can we do to keep growing the business and how can the next generation, being Sasha and I, help push everything forward. It's interesting. So the night, night shift started in 2015. Uh, and then you went on to open um, Broom Street Bakery with your dad in 2019, but in those interim years, did you pitch him other ideas that he uh, politely turned down or not that politely turned down? Did you have a running list of different options or was it just a natural organic um, from one, you know, family expansion business to the next? It was, it was organic. I mean, before Broom Street Bakery was actually our newest cocktail bar restaurant called Devon, which is right next door to Broom Street. So uh, next Broom Street Bakery and I'd been, I'd been at night shift and we were kind of like rounding our, th- our three-year mark and things were going really well and people loved it. And I'd always said to my dad, you know, if this goes really well, can we open a bar downtown? You know, that's, my, that's, re- that's really my dream. I just helped you execute this project, but I'd really like to do something downtown. And I think we don't have a presence down there. Can we take that next step? And in the first kind of year of night shift, it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. The second year, it was like, oh, okay, well, let's talk about it. And the third year... I was like, great, let's start looking for spaces. Let's see what's out there. And we opened Devon. And, you know, it's on 252 Broom Street. And it's a, it's a very kind of cool, mid-century, modern, designed cocktail bar with really good, a really good, solid, well-rounded menu of bites and kind of a couple bigger share plates. And the idea was always that there's going to be a bakery aspect of the bar. There's going to be a daytime and a nighttime. And we were looking at spaces where they could be put it as one. And there were some spaces we looked at where maybe we're going to take a space next door. And then when we finally landed on the space, the landlord had an empty storefront next door that was the perfect size. And we, set, we kind of made a deal with them. So one, we just take both and we'll figure out what to put in the next one. But it's going to be some sort of bakery concept. Got it. We're, we're going to take a quick musical break play a song from the archives, and we'll be back with Oliver and Sasha Zibar on Snacky Tunes.
We touched on this before, but the name that you carry um, has such a legacy to it. Um, as you opened these new projects with your father and kind of guided the next steps, what is the, the weight or the, the considerations around the legacy that you both feel and, and your perspective of how, you know, what it takes to keep the name alive and, and to make it even uh, bigger? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Zabar's on the, uh, on the Upper West Side really, you know, has this kind of instilled legacy and very clear idea of, of what it is as a business. Um, and I think our Eli's and, and kind of the East Side operations, because, both because they're newer, but also because they're more fluid and, and kind of uh, we're always kind of trying new ideas. Uh, you know, we, we do have to be very careful about the, about the image and about uh, maintaining the quality and, and maintaining, um, you know, the kind of homegrown uh, projects that, that, we, that we take on. And uh, certainly, like, you know, over the last 10 years, the food scene in New York has drastically changed with uh, Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and Amazon and uh, getting, you know, paper towels in two hours that you ordered online and uh, and so, you know, finding how we fit in into this kind of changing, you know, New York food scene, and especially as kind of some of the old guard, uh, you know, go out of business, like Dean DeLuca and, and even, you know, Fairway, which uh, has gone through a bankruptcy, um, staying, staying true to our core values, which is, which is really the focus on quality, focus on making everything in-house, um, and and kind of turning that corner and really becoming, you know, the, the, the legacy business that, that we think of ourselves as. And what is the balance that you find between modern day retail and that two hour paper towel delivery and the heritage? You know, where do you strike that balance and, and what are some decisions that you've made to maintain relevancy in the last few years that you would have never made or even considered Yeah, I mean, I think that there's still that joy and experience of going and shopping in one of our stores where you come in and people know your name. And if they don't know your name, they learn your name. And you kind of work through each department with the people working there. And they're all very educated on the product. And they can tell you the farmer's name and the guy who delivered it and when this was grown and when this was planted and when this was born and you kind of really, and you walk through and then it's like, it's been described as a playground for foodies. It's like, you can't, you can't go with anywhere in the store without seeing, without seeing something catch your eye that you feel like you want to take home or you want to try. And, you know, our, our selections are there. The displays are beautiful. And I think there is people who really appreciate food. I think still enjoy that experience. They, that's why people go to the green market at Union Square and they take, they go to the markets in Paris and, you know, as great as well, there's no online retail experience that can change that. But we're also understanding that people do don't want, like aren't leaving their houses. They can go online. They can at the press of a button, get everything to delivered. So we're making a bigger push to kind of be able to get our products to people quicker through, you know, using companies like Goldbelly and updating our website and do it be our gift basket business, um, trying to get us, still get our products in your home, but have the same experience of shopping with us that it would as if you were coming to our store. And we still have a huge home shop department. We have people, an office dedicated to taking calls from our customers who are calling in to place dinner orders, grocery orders, anything for that day. And then they go downstairs and they hand shop it for them. And every, some of these people have been with us 15, 20 years. They know everyone's name. Incredible. One of the other things too, that is a beautiful touch is your, uh, is your greenhouse on the Upper East Side. Uh, how long have you had it? How big is it? Um, how does it service your restaurant and bar cafe and, and markets and who runs it? So, uh, the, the greenhouse was was originally built uh, in 1993, and it encompasses over 23,000 square feet of growable area. And we grow year-round. Uh, we grow a lot of kind of baby lettuces and uh, heirloom tomatoes, strawberries, uh, lemons, figs, 
um, and kind of every herb you can imagine. And, and it came about because in, in the early 90s, you know, there, there, we, we started working with foragers in California and there was, you know, it was very expensive and we were only getting kind of a very little bit and it, it wasn't enough to, to provide the, both the stores and the restaurants. And so the, the greenhouse is actually located on the roof of our commissary and, and our bakery on 91st Street, um, which is kind of our HQ. It's where the back offices are. It's where we bake the bread. Um, where, or at least where our wholesale bakery is, where our pastry bakery, and where our commissary are, and we use the we use the heat from the uh, bread ovens to, to heat the greenhouses year round. So we so it's very environmentally friendly and and, and also very cost effective. And that produce uh, goes out to all the to all the stores and all the restaurants and changes over seasonally. Uh, and it's, it's really is, you know, an amazing thing to think about because it's so rare. And I don't, I don't think, you know, there are a few restaurants that kind of have, uh, you know, small plots or, uh, you know, have, you know, little air, little grobo areas. Uh, but we have to be, uh, you know, the, the, the largest, you know, the largest in the space. And, um, and it means that, that, that when in season, whether it's the tomatoes or the lettuces, strawberries, that we have exceptional produce coming from, you know, 10, 50, 25 blocks away, depending on, on what store you're, you're, you're buying it from or, or tasting it at. It's amazing. And, and who is mapping out the, um, the seasonality? And are you planting got it, got it, um, yes. special, special crafts for, for, your, for yourself? It, it's such, I mean, it's such a massive space. Um, how are you using it to your competitive advantage, and, and what risks are you taking with it? So um, Mo- Monica is is in charge of of kind of overseeing and mo- and monitoring the greenhouse, but all the crop selections are, are really done by by Eli, and and we have a team of of guys. It's uh, th- three guys who kind of take take care and harvest uh, throughout the year. Um, and the crops do change, uh, kind of, uh, you know, and also another thing I didn't mention is we, we use live bees to, to kind of pollinate, to pollinate, not kind of, we use live bees to pollinate. And it's, uh, and it's all, you know, bi- biodynamics. So we're not using pesticides or uh, chemicals. So the, the risks are that there have been years where we had certain kinds of, you know, um, um, certain kind of mites or uh, we had a, a, a disease that, that affected the tomato plants, and we might lose, you know, the, the, uh, the crop for three or four months. Um, at one point, we were working with uh, researchers up at Cornell at the Ag School to help us identify and and solve, you know, some some of these issues. Um, but you know, it really is an amazing space. And if you ever, you know, if you ever want to see it, let, let, let us know. It's 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 really a sight to behold. Amazing. So what? So Snacky Tunes is a is a show um, hosted by two brothers, and we always love when we find siblings that work together. But it's very rare that we have uh, intergenerational working. What are some of the hard lessons learned of working your father uh, for the year, especially for you know leaving and then coming back into the, the fold? Well. Um, I mean, it's, Sorry, yeah. it's hard to work at work in a family business always, you know, there's always a lot of opinions on the table and especially working with our father in particular, who has, it's very much kind of his way or the highway. You know, he's open to ideas. He listens to everyone, but another day he's going to do what he wants to do. And it can be, it can be really frustrating when, you know, we have ideas that we think are really good for the company or trying to push things forward and they get shot down or it's just a, such an uphill struggle to get anything done or get the idea through to him, you kind of can go home at the end of the night and put your, hand, your head in your hands and be like, what am I doing? Why, why did I come back here? But uh, I think for me, at least leaving and kind of seeing what else was out there and working for other people, it made me realize how important that the brand that we have is and the recognition, the brand recognition that we have and that, that people trust us and still come to us for their every, for everything. So coming back to work for him, I kind of, I also, I also realized that the way he does things 
why sometimes don't always make sense at times are genius. So I think for me, it was good to step back to see, to see some other things and come back and try and work with him to push everything forward. But, and, you know, working, working with Sasha, it's, it's good. You know, we don't always agree on everything, but I think we're, everything we do is for the greater good of the company or the greater good of the projects we're working on. And I think our, we both have strengths in different areas. So to, I worked, I was working with my, my dad a couple of years before Sasha decided to come back. So having him back to me, a lot of times feels like I have an ally in whatever argument or someone else to bounce ideas off of. And I'm, I'm not really alone uh, anymore. Yeah. Also, I don't know if you, if you know this, but, but we're twins. Uh, and so, uh, you know, back, back to your, you know, that, that you like uh, having guests on who are, you know, family members, but uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, the same age and grew up together. And, um, and, and, you know, it's, 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 uh, it, you know, every, every emotion you can think of, uh, you know, kind of go, you go through working with the family business, but it, it can be an incredibly rewarding experience as well. And, and when things work out and, and it involves kind of the entire family pull, pulling, you know, pulling their weight, uh, it's, it's incredibly rewarding and, and, uh, and worth it. Amazing. Well, I want to thank you both for, for joining us on the show. Um, where can people find you? How can they find your 11 or 12, depending who you ask? Establishments, um, eat, drink, shop, home goods, roof garden. How do they find you? The first place to go would probably be elizabar.com. Um, and then from there, those have links that will take you to you know, our gift baskets, our home shopping, all our different restaurants, our wine store, Eli's List, which is curated, all old world, uh, great selection at very great prices. Then you can also find Devin and Broom Street Bakery. Both have their own Instagram. It's Devin NYC and just Broom Street Bakery. And you can find us those two places both at 252 Broom Street between Orchard and Ludlow and 254 Broom Street. So right next door to each other. And so everything else, you know, the website kind of has, has everything you need to know. Yeah, Broom Street Bakery, www.broomstreetbakery.com and, uh, and www.devinnyc.com. Devinnyc.com. Uh, well, thank you both. Um, we're going to take a quick musical break, play another song from the archives, and we'll be back with the second half of Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network.
This episode is presented by Forever Cheese, a passion for great taste. Forever Cheese sources a curated collection of unique cheeses and specialty foods from Italy, Spain, Portugal, and Croatia. They have pioneered numerous important products that are now integral to today's market, including many under their brand Matika. Learn more at forevercheese.com. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. This is Jeet uh, at Heritage Radio Network with... Angela and Hannah of True Dreams. It has been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, thanks for having us back. How long has it been since you were last on here? Do you remember? I think like a year yeah. and a half, right? A year and a half ago. I think so. Wow. Yeah. And I know a lot's happened because <laughs> last time you guys had just put out the EP, is that correct? Yes, that's right. And now, big news. Got the LP. The LP. <laughs> the official full length of true dreams. How does that feel to have a full length in your name? It feels so good. It's it's amazing. And we yeah, we worked on the album almost that whole year and a half that we weren't here. Yeah. So it feels so good to like have it out there. Man, I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. And like the EP EP I remember when you guys came here and you talked about it, it was a lot more like the song started off with a mood and like you guys had lyrical trade-offs in between but what was the approach going into this one did you have that pressure of like okay we're gonna do a full length we got to approach this completely different not exactly only because we had kind of worked on all these songs in a clump like we we're working on them all at the same time even mm. when we were doing the ep so um but definitely there was like a bit of pressure putting them all together and figuring out if those songs worked with the EP and right. yeah. But it's still kind of the same process. The writing process is kind of the same. Definitely. Our goal is to write from now on, write everything 50, 50, whether mm -hmm. it's lyrics musically. And um, yeah, that was a big part of this as well as the EP. And you guys played a bunch of shows in this time as well, right? Yeah, we've played so many shows, including a big album release. Which I do want to get into in part two because oh, it's yeah. a very interesting story of that. Um, <laughs> and now you guys just put out this full length on two record labels, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. King Pizza Records and Moon Records? Lousy Moon. Lousy Moon Records. And that's in Germany? Yeah. Okay, so hold on. How did that happen? How did two record labels come to you and say, we want to distribute your album? We kind of went after King Pizza because we really liked them and we really uh, like Greg who runs the label. Mm -hmm. We like the bands that are on the label. So we contacted them and then we were fortunate to enough to have Lousy Moon contact us because my brother Toby Goodshank is on their label. So that's how they heard our music. And uh, yeah, that was kind of magical that that worked out too. That's amazing. And what yes. is that relationship like between the three parties, like the band and the two labels like how does that work i think it's pretty harmonious yeah yeah it's uh each label is run by one person so it's a one person operation on both ends so i think they really understand each other and what it's like 
working for yourself and yeah. doing a lot of work by yourself. I think that it's like a really nice camaraderie now. That's amazing to find that, right? Yeah. Because there's definitely. so many people who are ready to screw you over, I'm sure. But right. to find the people who like get your music definitely. and are willing to put their word behind it, mm-hmm. that's pretty inspiring. I agree. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Thank let's you. let's hear a song. Let's jump into one. What's the first one you're playing? Should we do Die? Yeah. jump into alphaville and the release party whose idea was this for painting the bloody eyes and doing the cassette giveaways like where did all this come from oh man that's a hell of a release party i'm just saying thank you so much well the the bloody eyes is um for those who don't know just explain what happened at the release party (laughs) well uh we had we were giving out free bloody eyes uh makeup and mm-hmm. the cover of our cassette and this photograph that we use a lot is us with this runny drippy red eye makeup under our eyes so it looks like blood's coming out of our eyes that was something that we used to do sort of in the beginning of true dream so we wanted to bring it back for the album release mm-hmm. and uh it was the same vampire blood that I've been using since the beginning. And uh, a couple people said that their skin was itchy. Oh, no. I was like, I don't know. Shit, I'm sorry. Like, nobody die tonight, please. Or break out in hives. But uh, I think everyone was okay. And people seemed to enjoy it. That's yeah. fantastic. And uh, so many people wanted to do it, too, which was really exciting for us. Because we were like, are people even going to want to have this matching makeup? But it seemed like everyone did. Yeah, all the bands did it. Wow. Yeah, it was so fun. you have like quite a community behind you. That's what it sounds like. It's really nice. We really do. Um, we have we play in a couple different like music. I don't know if they're called scenes, but groups in Brooklyn. And one is the anti folk scene um, from the Lower East Side originally, and they're super supportive of us and come to so many shows and support us online. And then there's like this new family with the King Pizza. Uh, label and then our coworkers and friends and family came too. That's fantastic. Yeah. Did the label have anything in the recording process? Did they have suggestions or notes, or did you just give it to them like right after it was done? We gave it to them right after it was done. Yeah, nice. we didn't. Um, but maybe this next one they'll help a bit. Yeah. And what was the recording process like for the album? It was so fun. Um, actually, I, I re-listened to the last time we were on Snackies, and <laughs> we were just about to go and record that album. It was so cool. Our friend Frank and Moselle were living in New Hampshire at the time, and we went up, and it was like a mini vacation. We stayed at their house. We this recorded. Is the one out in the middle of the woods? Yeah, yeah, we recorded in their home studio. It was so cool. So it was a similar process for this? Oh, sorry. That was the LP. Oh, wow. Very yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Nice. And um, so you guys record everything together, like together live or separately? Are you guys in separate booths? 
live. Live for yeah, for now. That's that's hardcore. It's cool because <laughs> I feel like that's where we get a lot of our energy from. We're, that's how I am anyway. When I see like Hannah playing and singing, it like I have more energy. Well, we we recorded the album in one day, so whoa, it's yeah. I feel like I don't know if we could have done everything separately. Yeah, in yeah. One day, but it worked. It worked out though. Yeah, I think you capture a vibe when you're playing together. You're feeding off each other's energies. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, even when you're playing right here, there's definitely an energy going around <laughs> for sure. Wow. And uh, what about some of the themes of this album? Was there an overall concept you wanted to? explain or were there different themes you wanted to touch on oh yeah um for sure uh we want to empower um people make them feel good about themselves whether that's like um you know welcoming every kind of person and every kind of gender since that's something that we all talk about now and are more aware of and um think in our music we want to be really supportive to females and um yeah but I, I, other than that the other running themes of the album I'd say are like heartbreak and other things that drive music that hopefully people can relate to and makes them feel good fantastic let's hear another song and then when we come back we're going to get into this music video that I'm very curious about video for the scum please please explain what was the like who came up with the concept we thought of it together i think we were thinking of like what would be we had like the laverne and shirley opening credits in our minds of like these two best friends doing everything together working together doing this thing together and we were like oh we could riff on that somehow in a creepy disturbing way dressing together <laughs> yeah, yeah i get it it's fantastic and who shot that our friend andrew costa he's this amazing shout out yeah shout out to andrew um definitely check out his work he's an amazing um videographer and editor and yeah it was so fun to do that's so great and what's next what's what's going on now the lp's out <laughs> the lp's out um 
Yeah, what's going on? You guys are playing shows. You're going on tour. Yeah, well, we have a we have a show coming up uh, February 13th at the Sultan Room, nice. and it's for the John's album release show and also Mary Vision's album release show. And then we go on tour with the Johns, who are our Lousy Moon label mates. Um, and we're going to tour mostly Germany, um, but also cities in France, the Netherlands, and Belgium um, with them at the end of February. How long is the tour? One week. A little more than nice. a week. Yeah. That's a great first week first tour to have yeah. is this your first tour it's our first long tour we've done like mini like weekend Weekenders, getaways yeah. mm-hmm. and those are really fun too yeah we had a great time this past summer doing a few of those that's awesome yeah what about musically still writing yeah we're yeah. trying to write a new lp oh my god <laughs> so we could come back to snackies <laughs> well we're, you're always welcome here and just so that everybody can find you where can people find you on Facebook and Instagram, True Dreams Band. And we're on Bandcamp, Band we're Camp. on Spotify. And, you know, you can just find us eating pizza over here. <laughs> at Roberta's, yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> Whenever they're not on Instagram and Facebook, <laughs> they're at Roberta's eating pizza. Any, uh, any final shout outs you want to give? Um, shout out to Frankie Sunswept for recording our album. Yes, and Casey Holford for uh, mastering the album. And Greg Hansen, who manages King Pizza, and Bernard, I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name because it's crazy, but (laughs) Boohoo, he goes by the name of Boohoo, and he runs Lousy Moon. So thanks a lot for supporting us. Yeah, and thanks to Jeet and this Greg for having us. We're so happy to be here. Awesome. True Dreams on Snacky Tunes. What's the last song you're playing for us? This one's called Get in the Van. It's a tour song. It's it's for our next tour. This program is powered by Simplecast.
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.